Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Connect Church. And did I turn my mic? There it is. Okay, good morning, Connect Church. We are, and we are so glad to have you as, as together we get to enjoy the opportunity, uh, the privilege to make much of Jesus. And I like to do this as much as we can. I'd open up the service to remind you why it is that we're here, the purpose by which we meet today, and that is to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We do that in three ways, by loving God, loving people, and making disciples. And we're so glad that today uh, you're a part of that with us. I want to start off by just saying this. It's amazing what you can see sometimes sitting poolside. Now, I want to share with you this. Uh, this is one of our staff members. Uh, this is Ashley Boone, and she works in our Connect Kids department. If you've got kids, man, today she is just loving on them and pointing them uh, to Jesus. But I want to share with you the story of how she almost saved a drowning kid one day. Uh, how she almost saved a drowning kid. And by the way, the kid is great and he's fine. Uh, but we found this to be pretty incredible. My wife, along with Miss Casey back there, they were, they were sitting poolside at a local hotel who had a pool that was indoors. Ashley was celebrating the birthday of her niece. And so all the friends got together. They were having a good time. And I want to draw your attention to the screen here. It happens pretty quickly, but watch how Ashley almost saved the life of a drowning kid. Take a look, if you would. There's Ashley. Okay, hey, look. Let's play that again. Team in the back, let's go round two. It happens really, oh, I love how they do that. Okay, hey, now just kind of watch this unfold, if you would. There's Ashley and... She's in the water. Now, listen, we, we did this for a staff meeting after we received the video because once I heard what happened, I, I, I knew it had to be on camera somewhere. And so we found the camera footage and we brought it into our staff meeting. I took some still shots. Let's watch this unfold together, okay? What has happened is a mom and dad have walked in the pool area and their little boy just jumps in the water. You know how kids do that. Now, listen, he was struggling for about half a second. You know why? Ashley's Uncle Brian, who's a really great guy, is right here next to the kid who jumped in the water. All right? Now, here's the second frame. Even as Ashley is diving into the water, the kid's done been saved. He ain't drowning anymore, okay? He, he look, he's not drowning. And even as Ashley enters the water, by the way, I give her a six on the splash and entry there, the boy's okay. <laughs> He's probably had enough time, but she get, by the time she gets to him, to towel off and eat a Happy Meal, okay? He is okay. He is fine. And yet, Ashley is in the water. And I'm going to tell you something. We have la And I, by the way, I asked her permission uh, to use this today um, so she wouldn't kill me. Anyway, it's, man, I just love this. It's amazing. My wife is sitting over here with Casey. It's amazing what you can see happen when you're sitting poolside isn't it? You know what? That is true of our text today. And we see some pretty incredible things. And by the way, about Ashley, that is the type of children's worker we recruit, right? That's the heroes we want to see over there. Your kid falls into a toilet, she's diving after him. She's going to save him. And I love Ashley and her family. So grateful for them. It is amazing what you can see sitting poolside. We see it in the text today. 
Jesus in John chapter 5 walking around the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. And the people sitting poolside, uh, they're fixing to witness something really incredible. And one man in particular sitting poolside, his life is about to be forever changed. Let's take a look at scripture together. In John chapter 5, it says this, sometime later, remember last week, we were in John chapter 4. What happened there was that Jesus healed the official son. A dad came to him desperate, and Jesus heals his son some 20 miles away in Capernaum. But so sometime later after this, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, one of the big three. We have Passover, Pentecost, or Feast of the Tabernacles, and Jesus is there. And can I just stop here for a moment? Uh, Not only was Jesus obligated by the law he wrote to be there, but every time Jesus went to these festivals, it just seemed like Jesus loved hanging out and worshiping God with his people. And you just see him just loving the act of worshiping God the Father with the people. Now it says this, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. That word Bethesda simply means this, house of mercy. And we're going to see exactly how that name comes to life in the text. Which was surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now colonnades were simply outdoor roofs that were held up by pillars. And that is what surrounded this pool at Bethesda. In fact, in Old Testament times, this pool would kind of service the temple area. In fact, here's a rendering of what it might have looked like back in the day, just these beautiful pools uh, and these colonnades surrounding them. I had a chance to preach there in 2019. And here's what's left of the pool of Bethesda today. It's just ruins today. But what an incredible privilege it was uh, to preach there. And the Bible goes on to tell us in verse number three that it was here that a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And we begin to ask the question really of the text, why are so many individuals with special needs, why do they gather at this pool? Now, sure, the colonnades provided some some shade from the the scorching sun of that day. But there was another reason. Really, the main reason that the people gathered there was because of a legend that attached itself to the waters of that pool. Let's do this. Let's take in your Bibles and let's read in in verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them up real quick and and let's read verse 4. Verse 4 having a hard time finding it in your scripture? For some of you with a newer translation of the Bible, where is it? Let, let me show you my study Bible real quick, okay? That sits on my desk. Here's John chapter 5, beginning verse 1. I circled verse number 2, verse number 3, and verse number 4 is not to be found in the text. And so we can't Really study verse number four, and you go, what happened here? Unless you have a King James version of the Bible, there is no verse number four, but why is it that King James has verse four? Well, when the King James version of the Bible was commissioned in 1604, and the first edition would come out in 1611, although they did an incredible job translating the ancient text into Old English, hey, guys, they didn't have the newer manuscripts And when I say newer manuscripts or copies of the Bibles, that meant this, since that time, we have discovered some of the oldest manuscripts and copies of God's Word that we have. And when you go all the way back and you study those older copies, 
guess what verse is not found in there? Verse number four. And although the King James translators did such an incredible job, very rarely in their translation, they included what we know were scribe notes or scribal commentary into their version of the Bible because the, the, the oldest manuscripts we have weren't discovered quite yet. And so we find that these inclusions were rare, but it happened here in John chapter 5. You say, well, Anthony, what did verse 4 say? You ready? Here's what it said. Look at the commentary here. That the people were laying there at the pool, watch this, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease they had. What had happened was a scribe had written out some commentary, really giving us a lot of good information about why people were gathering at the pool. And while it was good information, it wasn't necessarily inspiration of God. It wasn't necessarily inspired of God. Now, I want to mention this. Verses like this, though rare in the King James Bible, do not change anything historically or theologically of the Bible. They're just there. And if you want to do some more study, I love this and got questions. We point you here a lot. Uh, just type in, hey, why are newer translations of the Bible missing verses? I, I'm going to encourage you. They're not missing verses. They find ways around this, and you'll find it in any footnote in the Bible where that verse is and why it's not in the text and newer translations. But to say all of that, it does provide great detail, really great detail about why individuals with special needs, why they flocked to this pool. Now, let's jump back into the pool at Bethesda in verse 5. And here's where the Bible begins to focus in. Uh, one who was there had been invalid. That's another uh, word for had been paralyzed in some way. He was unable to walk, was unable to move per design. He'd been invalid for 38 years. Now, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him a simple question. Do you want to get well? Well, of course he did. He, of course, he's laying at the pool, isn't he? Hey, Jesus asked him this question to set up something incredible Jesus is going to do in his life. And it's important that this man knows exactly where his healing is sourced. So Jesus asked him the question, do you want to get well? And first question I wonder is, why is Jesus at this pool anyway? Jesus didn't have to go to this pool. Hey, Jesus didn't need healing, did he? No, he was the healer. In fact, he had to go out of his way to get to this pool. And the explanation is simple. Jesus was after someone. Jesus was after this man. The explanation is simple, and yet it's important. And here's something else it reveals to us about Jesus. Really, the heart and compassion that Jesus has for individuals with special needs. We see it time and time again in the New Testament. Jesus has a heart for people, for individuals with special needs. And it shows here in John chapter 5. You see, this man with special needs has been suffering for 38 years of his life. And Jesus, moved by this man's suffering, goes out of his way to find him. You know what I'm so grateful for? That what seems out of the way and who seems out of the way for you and me is always in, in the root, in way for Jesus. Whatever seems out of the way to us, whoever seems out of the way for us, is always on the way for Jesus. And we see that here in John chapter 5. When he arrives, 
What amazes me is that Jesus, what could have been crowds of hundreds of people that day, saw this man in the crowd and knew him. It leads me to something I love about Jesus as I watch him through Scripture. Something that amazes me time and time again, and that is this. Instead of seeing crowds of people, Jesus saw the people in the crowd. And if Jesus saw him that day, a man who in verse 5 tells us that he had suffered paralysis for 38 years, if Jesus could see his suffering, if Jesus could see him in the crowd, do you know what that means? That, that Jesus sees us and he sees our suffering. Can I tell you a great truth I love about Jesus? It's that our suffering does not go unnoticed by him. That man's didn't, and whatever suffering you've known, it does not go unnoticed by Jesus. So in the light of that truth, I've got a question really that we're going we're gonna to pose today that, that really gets us thinking about this whole encounter, and that is this. What suffering has you sitting poolside today? What suffering have you known? What suffering that's going on? What suffering is it that has you sitting poolside today? You know, there's those in the room who are suffering, suffering physically. Our bodies are, are broken in some way. They're not working per design like this. Man, there's been disease that has affected us. Pain is all too often an unwelcome companion. And you come poolside today wondering if healing will ever come. There's also those of you who are suffering emotionally. You have been wounded by someone or something in your life, and that wound's not really healed. It's festering. It has become infectious. It's a wound that brings hurt and disappointment, bitterness and hopelessness, and it has you sitting poolside today longing for healing. Well, maybe today some are suffering mentally. Mental illness has been an uninvited, an unwanted guest in your life. And sadly, the church has not been real good here. We say to people with mental illness, all, all you really need is more faith in Jesus and you're going to be healed. And then I get to thinking, sometimes when I preach, I walk really close to the side of the, the ledge here. You know what's going to happen at some point, right? This big boy's going to fall. I'm going to fall off stage. It's going to happen. It hadn't happened in four and a half years, but it's going to happen at some point. Now, when that does happen, I'm probably going to reach out an arm to brace myself from the fall. Now, two things are going to happen if that takes place. Number one, I'm probably going to inadvertently trigger a tsunami in Cuba, right, when I hit the ground. Number two, there's a chance that whatever arm I put down is going to break underneath the girth of this guy, Right? And let's say that happens, and I come to one of you and go, listen, she fell off the stage, my arm is broken. You're like, well, how do you know it's broken? Well, it's sticking through my skin. You can see it. How many of you would say, Anthony, all you need is to have a little more faith? Hey, can Jesus heal my broken arm? Absolutely. You know how sometimes he does it? By sending my hind into a hospital, get in front of an orthopedic doctor, he give me good medicine, knocking me out, and fixing my arm. And that's what I hope you would say. If you, you need an orthopedic, yeah, Jesus can heal you, but he hadn't yet. Let's get you an orthopedic. 
Let's get this taken care of. You see, that kind of stuff is easy for something you can see. A broken arm is easy to see. When something's broken in here, it's harder to see. And so we, we all too often will just say, all you just need is, is more faith. And can I tell you something? Man, I know that Jesus can heal mental illness without the aid of a counselor, a doctor, or medicine. But I've also seen him use those very things to bring about some healing in difficult seasons in people's life. You know, I get to thinking, some of y'all might be sitting poolside today because mentally you're suffering. And today you're looking for healing. Hey, can I remind you for the suffering that is seen and especially the suffering that is unseen, that your suffering does not go, go unnoticed by Jesus? Well, the man responds to Jesus, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. You know what this man is doing? He's airing out his grievances uh, to Jesus. And, and honestly, he didn't really know who Jesus is. Just to anyone who will listen that day. I get to thinking about his life. And I begin to first think in verse 7, you know what I understand about this man? Man, his theology is wrong. <laughs> he, he just, he misses it. He's looking to a legend to heal him instead of entrusting the living God to heal him. But here's what I also know about him. He is, he is desperate, dejected. He's depressed. And listen, he's despised by some of the very people who so easily pass judgment on him by merely looking at him sitting poolside at Bethesda. And yet here comes Jesus. And I love that he hears him out. And here's something I learn more and more about Jesus the closer I get to him. You ready? That Jesus moves towards need, not comfort. Toward brokenhearted sinners, not the self-righteous. And that's what he does here in, in John chapter 5. We, we see for this invalid that he was, he was seen, he was sought after, not just loved by anyone, but by love, by God in the flesh himself. Jesus was moved by compassion, not the man's faith, for the man didn't even know who Jesus was. It wasn't because of the man's fame, for he had none. It wasn't his fortune. He had nothing to his name. You see, Jesus was moved by his love for him as his maker and dealt with him in something that all of us relish and dealt with him in, in grace, which is seen by giving to this man that which he did not deserve and that which he did not and could not earn. You see the very definition of grace. And then something incredible happens in the text. Amazing what can happen when you sit poolside. And Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus, you don't understand. That's impossible. This boy ain't been able to do that for 38 years of his life. And yet Jesus tells this man to do the impossible, to get up and walk, and the man 
listen to that? And yet for the first time in 38 years, the damage to his body was reversed. Muscles were strengthened. Tendons were loosened. Blood flowed more freely. His mobility was no longer dependent on others. And here is a piece that fascinates me. Jesus says, pick up your mat. Why would Jesus tell him that? Why that detail? Why would Jesus tell this man to pick up his mat? Because it was important for that man to know that he would not be going back to that pool to save his life anymore. This man's hope were no longer tied to the stirring of waters, rather to the Savior of the world. Think of it. The first miracle of Jesus in the Gospel of John showed his, his mastery at the molecular level, when he changed water into wine. The second miracle of Jesus in the Gospel of John showcased his command and his control at the cellular level when he healed the official son. And now this third sign, this third miracle in the Gospel of John displayed his power at the physiological level as he tells a paralyzed man to do what he couldn't, what medicine said could not be done. What the stirred waters of Bethesda fell short in providing for this man, Jesus tells him to walk, and he does. What an incredible moment. Sitting poolside that day, it must have been. And what an incredible miracle, but with no one to thank. Shortly after he's healed... This man is questioned by religious leaders who are on the scene that day. And watch the commentary, verse 13. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So Jesus healed, and then he hid from sight. But then we learn something interesting in verse 14. That Jesus wasn't going to let this man go without addressing the reality of something far worse far more dangerous than the physical, emotional, the mental suffering his paralysis brought him. Watch what takes place in verse 14. And later Jesus found him. Hey, can I just remind you? Not that the man was looking for Jesus, but Jesus found him. Thus is the summation of all of our salvation in this room. Jesus found you and me. Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Go run a marathon. Go walk six months. No. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. The man went on his way, and we're going to talk about this more next week. He told the Jewish leaders that was Jesus who had made him well. When Jesus finds this man again, he confronts his sin and tells him to stop sinning. Man, is that a message that's missing in the church today? And Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But also with that comes the message that Jesus come, came to give, and that stop sinning. You know, the question begins to be asked. What is the answer for our sin as believers? You ready? I'm going to tell you what the answer is not. It's not to coddle it, dismiss it, downplay it, flirt with it, try to justify it, compare your sin to others, or to continue in it. The message of Christ for our sin is always to stop it, to repent of it, to turn from it, and to follow Jesus. And so you know what? Just on behalf of my boss and his word, if there's some sin in your life, you ready? Stop it.
stop. Something far worse could happen. Here's what Jesus knows. That sin leads to an even greater suffering than physical or emotional or even mental suffering. There is a greater suffering, and that is the, the spiritual suffering that sin brings. More than the effects of disease or injury on the body physically. More than the wounds we suffer from emotionally. More than the effects of illness mentally are the devastating effects of sin. Now, I want you to hear me. There is some suffering in our lives that happens separate from our sins. I want you to know that, that not all of our suffering is caused by our sin. But I also, on the flip side of that coin, want to remind you that there is a suffering far greater than any other that only our sin can bring. And you know what Jesus does? He loves this man enough not just to heal him physically, but to go after healing him spiritually. He loves him enough to confront him in his sin and say, bud, you've got to stop it. So I want to end with three lessons as we sit poolside today in the text in John chapter 5. Three lessons about suffering that we learn poolside. Number one is this. Our suffering does not elude the sovereignty of our God. Meaning this, your suffering doesn't go unnoticed by Jesus. It never does. Watch this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and 28. I, I consider, as Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Ten verses later, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Your suffering never goes unnoticed and it never eludes the sovereignty and the control of our God. Jesus knew this man's suffering for 38 years. And it was only Jesus who could take his suffering and work it for his good and the glory of God in such a way that we are reading his story today. Here's the second thing we learn sitting poolside. Our suffering serves a purpose. You ready? God never wastes our pain. I love as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Watch this. That far outweighs them all. Think of this man suffering for 38 years. You go, man, it's too much. Until you realize that that suffering is the very thing that led him poolside with Jesus, who would forever change his life. It served a purpose. And Jesus did not waste his pain. Uh, Max Lucado, in a book called It's Not About You, tells the story of a, a dear friend of his who, who gets cancer. It's a bad one. It's all in the wrong stages. And he will not live unless Jesus intervenes miraculously in his life. He had some Christian friends, though well-meaning, went up to this friend of Max Lucado's and said, if you have enough faith, then you will be healed. Hey, by the way, can I tell you what that language translates to me? You ready? Garbage. It's garbage. And let me tell you why. It is never our faith in and of itself that heals us. It is the power of Christ, the power of Jesus. Consider this man in John chapter 5 sitting poolside at Bethesda. He didn't even know Jesus' name, and yet the power of Christ healed him. 
There have been many phonies who call themselves preachers and faith healers who hedge their bets by declaring healing over the sick. And if that healing doesn't come, they blame it on the lack of faith of the one, the person who's in need of healing. And I'm going to tell you, that's just garbage. Does Jesus still heal? Yes. Without question. Do miracles still happen? Absolutely. But sometimes, suffering is still a part of the story of many faithful, Jesus-loving people. Let me remind you, Jesus suffered. His mama suffered. Paul, who wrote many of the texts I just quoted you, suffered. Peter suffered. John, the author of the gospel, suffered. You see, it served a purpose. God never wastes our pain, and he didn't theirs. But as Max Lucado would continue to write, no healing came from his friend with cancer, only a crisis of faith in the man. And that's when Max Lucado sits by his bedside and simply reminded his Christian friend in his suffering, it's not about you. You don't find that on a Hallmark card. It's not about you. Listen to what Max said to his friend. Your hospital room is a showcase for your maker. Your faith in the face of suffering cranks up the volume of God's song. I can imagine this man suffering for 37 years and then day after day in his 38th year wondering where was God and then Jesus steps in And his life is completely changed. And in that moment, in the midst of his suffering, Jesus cranked up the volume of God's song. And believers who have faith even in the midst of suffering do the very same. And here's the last thing. Sitting poolside of Bethesda, we learn about suffering. Suffering separates us from this world. Can I, can I tell you one of the greater works of suffering? Is that it severs us. It separates us from this world. Suffering builds up in the believer a desire, a longing, a hunger, a thirst, an urgency for a place where suffering is no more. A time when all suffering will cease. A time and place when we are at home in the arms of Jesus. Let me remind you this miracle in this man's life on the very power of Christ, like I said last week, was just a shadow, a a precursor, a taste of the healing that is still yet to come for those in Jesus. I want to paraphrase Charles Spurgeon here when he said this, my dear friend, when suffering, when your suffering presses you into the dust, Worship him there. You see, one of the greater works of suffering is that it reminds us this old world ain't our home. This ain't it. This is not our forever. And so we walk away from this pool today knowing that Jesus can heal you from your suffering Knowing this, that Jesus can heal you in the midst of your suffering. He may not take your suffering away, but in it, he's going to bring healing to your heart and life. And in the hope of every believer, one day Jesus will heal 
all our suffering forever. What's got you sitting poolside today? What physical, emotional, mental suffering are you going through today? Doesn't go unnoticed by him. It serves a purpose. God will never waste your pain. And hear me, in light of eternity, it is only momentary. It is only a season. His healing will come. Now, this is the part of the sermon where I like to put a good illustration in to tie this all together and and really hit this home, but I don't know of a better illustration than if you just seeing how this might have played out through the creativity of the chosen who did a wonderful job capturing what this scene might have looked like. And so maybe our closing illustration today will be better served just to be reminded yet again in this sermon the beauty of what took place poolside at Bethesda. Take a look at the screens if you would. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. I tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why?
So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. So what has you sitting? Yeah. What has you sitting poolside today? I want you to know that when it comes to your suffering, whatever you're going through has not eluded your Father who is above all and controls all. He's sovereign. Your suffering does not go unnoticed by Jesus. And you know what? All our suffering serves a purpose that God never wastes your pain. You know what else is true about the suffering that you and I know? is that one of the greater works of our suffering is that it separates us and it severs us from this world. Just in case we forget, this is not our home. This is not forever for the child of God. Our home's with Him. And so Jesus can heal you from your suffering. For many of us, He's going to heal us in our suffering. And our great hope affords to us that one day in the presence of Jesus in his arms, suffering will be no more. And so stop sitting poolside at Bethesda and walk with Jesus and trust him. Lean on him. Know that your suffering is but momentary, a a season. And what God is producing in you is to his glory and, yes, to your good. Pick up your mat and don't come back here anymore. Never again to the poolside of Bethesda. Follow Jesus. Let's pray together, can we? As we do so, here in a minute, our team's going to close in a, in a song that I just could not escape for this morning to close in. It sings of the goodness of God. Because here's what we know, believer. There are three type of people in here when it comes to suffering. There are those who have suffered. There are those who are suffering. And there are those who will one day suffer. Don't buy into this call follow after a neon cross where everything's crisp and clean you'll suffer no more no listen 
even in Christ we will know suffering. But the question is, is will you fall on legends or will you trust the living God? Will you wallow in your suffering or will you walk with Jesus? And my prayer today is that whether your suffering is physical, it's emotional, it is, it is mental, that as a believer, knowing that Jesus has saved you from the greatest of all suffering spiritually because of the suffering he did on the cross, dying for our sin and shame, emptying the grave three days later, knowing that truth will allow you to see the glory and the good and even the suffering you are facing. And so believers, in a moment, we're going to stand and sing. The altar is always open if you want to come and pray. But before we sing, I watched a man in the first service he was in the middle rows, and almost the entire time he wept, and I gave the invitation, and he looked up at me weeping, giving his heart and his life to Jesus, and it's just a reminder that every time we gather together, I'm going to give you an opportunity by faith to place your faith and trust in Jesus, who can alone save you from suffering spiritually that sin brings and to give, bring you from death to life and you are here today and you have never placed your faith and trust in him, then man, right now, man, I want to beg of you to do so, to pray something like this from your heart to God's. Dear Jesus, I, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please save me. I place my faith my trust in you thank you for loving me thank you for dying on the cross for my sin thank you for rising again I give you my life would you help me turn from my sin and myself Jesus I will follow you and with nobody looking around my team on stage they are praying for you right now knowing I will not embarrass you or come to you, I wouldn't do that. If you prayed that with me just now, can I ask you for just the great honor of, of just seeing you? Would you just look up here? I won't embarrass you or come to you. I just want to see you. Hey, you prayed that with me? I see you, young lady. Somebody else, you prayed that with me? Would you look up here? I see you, young lady. Somebody else, it was me, sir, I see you. Somebody else, it's me. I prayed that with you. I see you. Two men, sir, I see you. For everybody who has looked up at me, uh, there's, a, there's a number on the screen. Ladies, I saw you in the back. I, if you text your name to that number, that's all I get, your name and number. It goes to my desk. I see you. I, I, I just want to call you, celebrate with you, and do whatever I can to help you take next steps of faith. In Jesus, and so for everybody looking up, would you text that number? Maybe a, a better next step for you is just to walk outside these doors. There's a next steps tent out there. And if you go up to them and say, hey, I prayed with Pastor Anthony today, and they'll, they'll just say, look at your number. They'll give you a Bible if you need one, some resources. And I'll call you this week 
and celebrate what the Lord's doing in your life with you. Would you just give me that honor? And we celebrate what God's doing in your heart and your life. So thank you for looking up. I'm going to encourage the church. Everybody just look up if you would right now. Hey, can we celebrate those who made a decision for Christ today? Yeah. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.